Go home and you can test your dad. Okay. Okay, Erev Tov. This week is Parshas Ve'era. And uh, since we will, I will not, Mir Tzashem will not be here next Shabbos, next, next, next Monday night. So this class will go for this week and for next week. We're going to discuss probably two of the most famous questions that exist. The Rambam deals with them. And we're going to give you a new perspective that we have not shared before. And the main two questions are, we know already from last week's Parsha, Hashem says he's going to harden Paro's heart. All kinds of different languages of hardening Paro's heart. So which obviously, we know the Rambam tells us uh, very emphatically that free will choice is one of the fund- fundamentals of Judaism and humanity that for Hashem to judge someone they have to have free will choice and if they don't have free will choice it wouldn't be fair to punish people for making mistakes or rewarding them for doing what is proper and therefore the Rambam spends an entire chapter discussing in Hilchus Tshuva so what's this business of Hashem hardening Paro's heart that's one famous question Together in that area of Hilchus Tshuva brings the next famous question. And that is, if Hashem is a perfect being, then there's no such thing as Hashem gaining knowledge as time passes. Because if God would gain knowledge when time passes, that means the new knowledge is something that was not part of God. And that cannot be that something exists without God's um, a complete knowledge. So therefore, the question now becomes, well, if God knows everything that's going to be, how is it possible that man has free will choice? That's a famous question, and the Rambam gives a very challenging answer over there. It basically says, you know, it's, it, it's, it's way too hard for you to understand the answer. Uh, God's, you know, and he goes to a whole discussion there. Uh, what... And now people have answered the first question: Where was Paro's free will choice? Um, the uh, Rambam himself says, when a person makes many, many mistakes, after a while, part of the punishment is you lose your free will choice. You only lose it once you've shown that you're so wicked. Ramban gives another interpretation that Hashem was punishing Paro so hard, so Paro would have just succumbed because he couldn't take the pain anymore. So Hashem says, I'll give him the strength to take the pain. So he's not giving in because he's being forced to. If anything, Hashem is really giving him free will choice. He strengthens his intestinal fortitude so that he won't give in because he's forced to, to say uncle, but rather have the strength to take all that pain. Those are the two most famous answers to this question. So I wanna share with you now uh, we're going to go through the piece inside because it's a very worth. I usually don't, but it's it's very worthwhile, and I'll give you running commentary on it. The commentary of the Moor Einaim Rav Nachum of Chernobyl, who was a student of the um, Mezritzer Magid, very very early early Hasidim, and uh, he really gets into some very core issues, and you're going to see that. 200 years ago, the great rabbis understood everything about um, mental health. 
and how the brain works and everything that's going on. So, uh, and this really, as I said, is going to really be like a, it's a really a life-changing concept over here that is relevant for everyone here without question, all Jews, and it's very practical. And also, it's, it's, it's not really a hard piece, but you have to, as they say in Yiddish, halt cup. If you're ready, coming in tired, you're going to be in trouble. So if I see you're drozing off, I'll tell you to stand up. No, but, the, but it, you, it's not going to have a lot of exciting stories today. It's just, it's going to really get into the heart of the issues. So where this, so it really relates to all the parshas that are talking about hardening Paro's heart. But his um, section is in next week's parsha. So that's why it's kind of for this week and next week's parsha class. So let's start in next week's parsha, the beginning, and you got it right in front of you. Hashem Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Bo el Paro, come to Paro. For I have hardened his heart. In the hearts of his servants. So that I can show my signs. Ela, these signs. These, these of my signs. Bikurbo in his midst. And so that you will be able to tell over to the ears of your children, Ruben Bincha, and your grandchildren, how I have made a mockery of Egypt. And you'll also tell over my signs that I placed in them. So these two psukim have. Uh, two very big questions over here that we have to look at. Now, if you look in the Pasuk here, what is Hashem going to place upon Paro? It says, Oso Sai. Oso Sai, my signs. Now, what do you think that means, my signs? Just a simple meaning. Remember, at this point in the game, seven plagues down, three to go. So Moshe, Hashem telling Moshe, Go to Paro, in spite of the fact that I've hardened his heart and his servants. Why? Why are you going? So that I will place my... Here, right over here. Right over here, Hanoch. Right next to me. There you go. There you go. Read the notes. That's what you get for coming late. You get to be right next to the teacher. That's good. Okay. That's good. Perfect table. Okay, so anyway... What's wrong with that first line? Grammatically, what, why is Hashem is saying for in order that I will place my signs in His midst? He's already placed them. He's already placed so, so, and what are the signs? What are the signs? Plagues. What? Plagues. Plagues. Okay, so what word just doesn't belong there? Uh. The Hebrew word. I always make it easy because I color the words. I try to make it really easy for us people. Okay, take the word out, Ela, and tell me how the Pusik reads. Then put the word Ela in and tell me how the Pusik reads. He said, so that I will place my signs in his midst. My signs, these in his midst? Specific. Does it make sense? Okay, so when you say Ela, what does Ela mean in English? These. These. So when you say these, 
I could say, well, they are in front of you. these books. Yeah. It is in front of you. Okay, so what's in front of Hashem here that he's talking about? The... It's after the seventh plague. We're not in the midst of a plague yet. When, right now, nothing is happening. He has to tell Paro about the next plague that's coming, okay, which is going to be Arbe. Right now it's calm. The Barad is over. The seventh plague is over. So now he's saying, go to Paro, because I've hardened his heart, so that I will place these, these... But but there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Just say also sign my signs. These is when something's in front of you. There's nothing in front of him. In other words, what do you what is when you say Ela 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 Hadvarim? These are the words that Moshe spoke. These are the words that he spoke. We're talking about something, but it's nothing yet. There's nothing been told what's going to happen. We don't know anything. He, uh, the Pusik is very well read, so you take out the word Ela. Just say, I'm going to place my signs. I'm going to. He doesn't told Moshe what the sign is. We don't know what the sign is going to be. There's nothing to these. The these isn't going on anything. Just say to place my signs in his midst. What signs? Whatever the signs will be. These... You know, it, 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 you have to have something that's there. There's nothing there yet. Okay? So that's the first question he asks. And the second question you have to understand is so that you'll tell your children how I played, how I mocked Paro. Since when are Jews into mockery? I, that's what I'm saying. So, like, you tell your children how I redeemed you. Right? And then how does that connect to the next part that ends? Vidatim, and you'll know that I am Hashem. What, where, the flow is just not, you know, you mock someone and that's how you know I'm Hashem. By Hashem mocking Paro, that's how you know that Hashem is. And if Hashem doesn't mock Paro, we won't know that Hashem is. Hashem has to be dafka, mock him. So it's, to me, it sounds like these, and like just like you said, I don't see anything. There's nothing in front of me. And that, doesn't that sort of tell you about, wait a minute, Choshech? It's going to be it's like... It's not Choshech yet. We're not even up to yeah. Arba. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I thought I was thinking... Right now, there's a break in the action. He's going to be telling him about Arba. He's not going to be telling him about Choshech. Okay, it's a midah connected midah. So what's the point? Yes, well, what's was, the point? But why, why do we got to tell our children that Hashem mocked Paro? What does that make us any better Jews to know that Hashem mocked Paro. With these plagues. What? He mocked him with these plagues. He mocked Hashem, the God, our okay. God. So, so we need Hashem to mock him back? I mean, it sounds very petty. It sounds like something that a person would do, not what God would do. God doesn't get offended by pettiness. Is it measure for measure? Because Egyptians There's been a million measure for measures. All the plagues are measure for measure. What's the mockery of every any word to pick? Vusef is mockery. I mean, is this something we should now practice that we should mock our enemies? And there's so many other words Hashem could have used besides mock. Took revenge. There's so many words. 
you know, if I was asking, again, the problem is the words are here, so we feel that we have to explain the words because it's got to be the way it is. But you got to just look with an open mind and say, if I would ask you to fill in the blanks, you know, again, I, I should next, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put a blank in. I'm going to ask you to put the blank in and you're going to see that none of you will come up with this word. Is there another meaning? You will see, you will tell your children how I blanked in Mitzrayim. The last word you would have thought was mock. None of you would have guessed mock. But the thing is, the Hebrew word, could there be a different meaning for that Hebrew word in English? Maybe. Okay, with this, let's jump into the Moray 9. I know it's a long piece, but this is like really a chashiv piece. This is a a very, very important piece. So, I, you know, it's better if we look it inside, and then at about three or four times we'll take a break, and I'll explain these concepts. It's a very, And you got the English on the left side, but here's a perfect example where the English will help you zero. <laughs> because you cannot translate Hasidic ideas into English word for word. It just doesn't make any sense. But at least when you'll review this later, you'll have the English who will remind you of things. But he's going to mention a lot of key concepts that are so central to the, uh, it's the, the Exodus experience that you've heard all this mentioned many times and you'll hear some of these ideas. Oh, I heard about that, but it never really has been sufficiently explained. So let's just go through the piece here. Oh, we're down. You don't have a sheet, Paul. Okay. He won't help me much either. So. Yeah. <laughs> fine. Okay. okay. So he says like this. Akusha Mufursemes. The question is famous. How does Hashem take away the free will choice that should be free? Why did he take it away? When according to our way of understanding the concepts let's take heart to, to look at that word these. When it says, that I will place these signs in his midst. It's like he's pointing with his finger to these signs. The word, that's before your eyes. It's not really in front of Hashem's eyes. That's the question in the first paragraph. So now he lays down, a ver- I'm going to read about two paragraphs, and then I'm going to start explaining things you'll see. Omnam, next paragraph. In, I've tried to line up the English and the Hebrew pretty close as much as possible. What is the real concept of the Exodus from Egypt? If you ask most people, what was the most important thing of the Exodus in Egypt? What were you... What were we in and what did we get out of? So some will say slavery. slavery and we got out of slavery and we became free. You could say we were servants to Paro, we became servants to Hashem. But says, but all of the Mephorshim say this idea. It's not just uh, uh, the Chernobyl. He says, in the red, Shohoya Hadaas Begos. The Daas, which we're going to just say for now, awareness was in Gols. Now you have to, we're going to spend a lot of time shortly explaining what this means, that your das is in Golis. The worst part of Golis is not where your body is. It's where your das is. And it started, Eitzel Paro. It starts with Paro. Paro's das was in Golis. For who? And that means, Ki ha'am, the Jewish people. Even the Jewish people. They did not know Hashem. 
Even though they had a tradition from the forefathers that there was a God, and they accepted that tradition that there's a God. Already was the fourth generation in Egypt. They forgot the true Da'as. Which David said to Shlomo before he died in his last will and testament. He says, Know the God of your father. Now, obviously, what do you mean? He doesn't know the God of his father? Doesn't Shlomo know the God of his father? What David is telling me, cultivate the ability to have das, which means a way to access information correctly. This is what was in Golis, and as he's going to say, everybody's das was in Golis. Every person in Egypt, Goy, Jew, everybody, their das was in Golis. Okay, now what is this going all about here? Vizel Iker Hagolos. This is the main exile. Shahayadas Begolos Bimitrayim. Our Da'as, our awareness was in exile in Egypt. So, what did Paro say the first time when Moshe comes and says, The God of the Jewish people wants God? He says, Me, Hashem. I put it in red. Who is Hashem? That's a mockery. He totally denied. Because why? What did he believe in? Elohemin rak bikshafin. He only believed in sorcerers. Shahiyamakhashev Godl, he was a big sorcerer. Philoyodas Hashem, he did not know Hashem. He did not know the fact that he ain't melvadoksiv, that the Paz said there's nothing but Hashem. And Chazal tell us, the Gemara says, what does it mean there's nothing but Hashem? Afiluk Shafim, even sorcery. Now, what does the word kishuf mean exactly? So Kishuf has a very bad English translation. What's Israeli Hebrew say it is? Kishuf? Yeah. It's black magic. Black magic. All right. Now, what's the source of that? It's uh, a combination of words. Shemachachishim famalia shalmailo. They contradict. They go against the heavenly realm. Yeah, today okay. they have it all Now, in other words, what this means is Hashem created a system of reality. It starts from Hashem. It goes through very many spiritual worlds. Then it goes through, it's all Hashem's energy. It goes through the stars and from the stars goes to different realms. And there is an ability for evil people to have some understanding of that spiritual chain of command. And they have an ability to mess up the chain of command. And they can, if Hashem wants someone to be healthy, they can go up and they have certain powers where they can contradict Hashem's will, as it were. But still we say, there's nothing but Hashem. Even these sorcerers who can do these things, it still all comes from Hashem. As we see the famous story, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, where there's one, of, we call them in Yiddish, Kishof Machers. Because Kishof and Macher means to make, a Kishof Macher. It sounds always better in Yiddish, you know. In Qatar, we, we call it Mechashef. But a Kishav Machar sounds more, more nasty. Anyway, so what does this all mean? It means Paro believed in nature. And he believed that mankind has the ability to manipulate nature. And that's what these Mechashefim can do. They can manipulate nature. 
But the fact, what he didn't know is that Hashem governs even Kishuf. Because they can only do what they're doing because Hashem is allowing them to have that ability. And that's where Rabbi Hanina ben is one of these witches who's trying to do something under his bed, put some sand and this and that and saying all these incantations. He sees, says, listen, do all you want. It's not worth anything. Ain't old Movad. I have nothing to be afraid of. Okay, but we're living in a country where every, nobody believes in Enod Movado. They believe in nature and man's ability to harness nature. That was the power. Let's continue. V'lachain. And therefore, next paragraph. In the English, it's clear the paragraph. In the Hebrew, it just looks like it's following. V'lachain, therefore. When Hashem wanted to redeem the Jews from Egypt... So they would have true da'as. I'm still on the front page, I believe. Ulahara said to teach. That Hashem is God. He's powerful. And the master of forces. And again, the master of all forces. Omar, he says, now listen to this beautiful play on words. And I got to explain it to you so you'll appreciate it. What's one of the names of God? Elohim. Okay. Now, that can be divided up into two words. The first three letters is Ele, Aleph, Lamed, Hey. The next two letters is Yud, Mem. If you reverse Yud, Mem, it spells me. So we got a combination word, Ele, which is these, and the reverse of the letters me, Mem, Yud. So Aleph Lamed Hey is Ela. Take me and reverse it. Mem, it spells Elohim. So he's saying like this. He's saying, you know what Hashem is saying? I'm going to harden Paris heart so I can place these. What does he mean? Now, Os and Os can be a sign. What it can Os also mean? Uh, a miracle. No, no, simple, simple. Letter. A letter. So that I can place also sign my letters. What letters? Aleph, Lamed, Hey. So that I can place also sign my letters, which are the next three letters: Aleph, Lamed, Hey. Bikir bow in his midst. Why? Because he's a complete kofar. Because he doesn't have any das. And what did Paro say? Me, Hashem. Who is Hashem? So Hashem's going to say, I'm going to combine the letters Aleph, Lamed, Hey, to his agnostic view that used the letters Mem, Yud, combine them, and by combining them, you get the name Elohim Bishlemus in its perfection. The Odea, my last two lines, and I'll know, Ki Hashem Elohim, Hashem Yud, is really manifest in Elohim. Who atakif is the powerful one? Ubali Acholos and the master of all forces. Veinot Melvada is nothing but him. Vafiluk Shafim Kamor, even these sorcerers. So now that's a very nice uh, word play. Okay? But we got to look much more beyond the word play. But that's a nice way. It, it deals with what the Paul say. I want to place my letters, Aleph, Lamed, Hey. In his midst. And what's his midst? He's the guy who says, me. I don't know God. And now I'm going to perfect the name Elohim. 
So now we need to give lots of explanation. And we go back to the original question. What was the value of leaving Egypt? Well, to get us out of exile. Okay, now we have to know exactly what was the exile to know what we're getting out of and to know what we're getting into. So you could say exile is hard work. Okay. For that, it's not a big deal. Just stop the hard work. But that, and they did too. Yes, but that wasn't the real exodus. So if we want to know what the exile is, we have to look at Paro, who embodies everything that Egypt represents. Now here is going to be the key line, and it's going to go back and forth the whole time. Paro represents, it's going to sound crazy, a life of no choice. Although you think when he's the king, he can do whatever he wants. But no, because you know why? He has no da'as. And we're going to spend in the next 20 minutes explaining to you how da'as and choice are interconnected and must be together. Even before it's hard, it's hard. Just wait, you'll see. So, so what does redemption mean now? What does it mean to be redeemed? When and now this is true for each and every Jew every day of your life. Now the problem, we're going to come in about 20 minutes and show you how all of us are in Gullus. And we're going to pinpoint the Gullus very particularly. And everyone who's honest with himself will clearly see the Gullus that they are experiencing. And we're going to see how we can get out of it. Okay. Redemption means to gain Da'as. To live in that reality so that you will have free will choices. Now, only in the last 50, 60, 70 years, and really it breaks in the last 20, 30 years, do we know a lot more with about neuroscience and how the brain works. And we'll tell you a line from Viktor Frankl who created Logotherapy, he was a Holocaust survivor, he wrote some uh, very hush of a books, uh, meaning, meaning of man or something like that, some life of meanings. I don't remember exact words. But anyway, he says like this. He says, human beings, there's an idea of stimulus. Something happens from the outside. And then there's response. So he says, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space, is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes explaining this line. Uh, I'll be science and I'll be Kabbalah. This is very, very important. What he's really saying, in other words, there's a stimulus. That was a stimulus. I'm glad there was no That's a stimulus. Okay. Now, how did you feel as soon as I did that? Shocked. Now, if it wasn't me, what would you do? What would be your response? Bam! Bam! Okay. But in between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And that space is called Da'as. Now, we know that there are people who tell us, you know, I don't know, but that person, when they do what they do, it just triggers me. This idea, these triggers. 
What are triggers? Triggers are stimuli that your body now, when you get a stimulus, your body has a quick response. It will respond in one of three ways. Fight, flight, or nothing. There's only three you have. What? What again? Fight, flight, run away, or nothing. And you know where they come from? That's ingrained in you. Because your neural pathways are used to this type of behavior. In other words, the oversimplified idea when you were a kid and your parents beat you up all the time. So you had to develop some kind of way to live by being beaten up all the time. And you come up with some concept of how you're going to deal with this. And you do it over and over and over till that becomes your normal response. Okay. And these things get ingrained in you from various stimuli. Remember, you're designed to survive. So therefore, your mind does things to help you survive. Either you always run away, and you've been ingrained to run away, or you've been ingrained to fight, or you're ingrained to be paralyzed. And that is, but the problem is, because you've never allowed there to be space between the stimulus and the response. And therefore, we have expressions that, let's say husbands and wives have big problems, and the husband says, what do you want? She pushes my buttons. Or the opposite. She, what does it mean someone's pushing your buttons? What does it mean? It's because the person has a lot of neurological um, memory. And for example, if uh, a wife tells a husband to get a challah for Shabbos, and the husband forgets to bring the challah for Shabbos, and the wife, he comes in, and she says, did you get the challah for Shabbos? I forgot. You couldn't get the challah for Shabbos? Now, this husband, he's not just here, you couldn't get the challah for Shabbos. For the last 30 years, his parents always said he was nothing. His rabbim said he was nothing. His wife for the last 29 years has said he's nothing. So now all he's hearing is, you're a nothing. nothing. <laughs> and over life, he's developed a response that puts him in as safe as place as possible, although not necessarily the one that makes the most sense. Is that the definition of hardening? We're coming there. We're coming there. We're not quite there yet. You're, you're jumping. I know what you're thinking, but you're jumping. Okay. So what happens is after a while, there's no space between the stimulus and the response. Okay? And therefore, you never have a free will choice in those situations. There is no free will choice. You have been, what's the word? Um, Indoctrinated. Programmed. Programmed to respond this way. Even though nobody uh, uh, with evil tent, intent, but that's just the way things have been. We've been programmed to think this way, so you don't have any free will choice. What do you mean? I chose to yell back at my wife. Now, what, how did this, let's say this husband, how did he deal with all these things? He'd fight back. The teacher said he's, he's dumb. He, what did he do? He'd make fun of the teacher in class. Let's say his response, first of all, was fight. Well, guess what? He kept, people kept letting him have it. He kept reinforcing it. The neural pathways now understand it's a very simple thing. Somebody does this, 
And for 30 years, you just have that fist in my mouth as fast as anything. No impulse control. Shame on you. <laughs> but it's not his fault because he has no free will choice. Because he has no das in between the stimulus and the response. And I'm sure you know people who respond to triggers. And some people can have a lot of fun. If you know you have a teacher that behaves a certain way, kids would always do things to see the response. And I clockwork, there's a response. So when we say that between, are we talking about time? I'm going to tell you what we mean. I haven't told you anything yet. This is a mystery. Now, now we're going to understand you're saying Golos and Geula. Golos, exile. Geula, redemption. Now, not Golos. We're going to say Gola. Gola. It's the same thing. Gola and Geula have exactly the same letters, except for one. Geula has an Aleph in the middle. In the middle. They both, Golos and Geula, both have stimulus and response. They both mean exile. It also means Gilui revealed. But one has an Aleph in the middle. And what do you think that represents? That represents Da'as. Da'as is in the middle. Now, the gematria of Gola, Gimel, Vav, Lamed, Hey, is 44. The gematria of Geula is 45. The gematria of Dam, blood, is 44. The gematria of Adam is 45. What's the difference between Geula and Gola? Dam and Autumn is the Aleph. The Aleph is one. The Aleph is Hashem Echod. The Aleph is Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the God, the Lord, who took you out of Egypt. The Aleph is Das. Aleph is the first letter of Elohim. That's the Aleph. The difference, here it is now. If the difference, if you have access to Das or not, is the difference between Geula, where you have access to the Das? Golos is you have no access to the Das. So now the question is, well, how do I get access to the Das? The question is, how flexible are you? Or better, yes, what kind of neuroplasticity have you got? Or we'll coin the term Das plasticity. Right? Do you have das plasticity? Do you can hear it or not hear it? Okay, so so far I haven't really told you anything because I haven't told you what das looks like. And this is what's very important. Now you have to understand, it's very hard to translate. Like the English says awareness. You have to know what, oh, it's true, but what does awareness really mean? So what does Das look like? Well, we'll first tell you what it doesn't look like, and then we'll tell you what it does look like. Okay, it does not deny a situation. It does not suppress a situation. It doesn't judge a situation. Now, it's interesting, every day before the Shema, in the second bracha, the bracha right before, Ava Rava, or Ava Solom, we say the following. Avinu of Harachamon, our Father, our merciful Father. Hamirachem, who has mercy. 
Rachem Aleinu, have mercy upon us. How many times did we say mercy already? Three times. Nowhere else in Downing. Three times. Have mercy upon us. The same Billy Bain who put in our heart. Our heart. What's a heart? Emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Alright. to understand. Lahaskil, also to understand. Lishmoa to listen. Lilmo to learn. Ulalamed and to teach. Lishmor to guard. Velasos and to do. Ulakayim and to keep all the words of Torah with love. Now, you say this every day. What are you asking from Hashem? First of all, you're calling Hashem very, very, very merciful. What does it mean to have a heart that understands? It's supposed to be a heart that feels. We're asking for that. So if you're asked what you're asking for, Bina in the heart is Das. We'll see. Now, the question is, why is this tefillah introduced with so much Rachmonus? I mean, there's everything needs Rachmonus. How is it different than any request? And says the Balatanya, and why is this the prerequisite to the Shema? Why is this the request right before the Shema? So the Balatanya says exactly what's happening over here. Is the tefillah is not Hashem. Now, what do you think the sorry, me. Hashem have Rachmanus on us and give us das. That seems to be you're merciful, give us das. He says, No. He says, There's no such thing as das without compassion. And therefore, we need Rachmanus in order to have das. Mercy. Where there is Rachmanus, there is das. Where there is no Rachmanus, there is no das. Now, what is Rachmanus really? I'm just. I'm just kicking the football down a little further. We have to understand. So this is what das means. Being present to a reality honestly without minimizing the reality, without looking at that reality through the lens of minimizing it or justifying it or rationalizing, not judging, judging it, but just being present within the reality without the need to manipulate the reality and to see what reality really is. Because remember, we got a lot of stimuli. We got a lot of history. And that forces us all the time to distort what we are seeing because we see it through the lens that makes us more comfortable. So if you suffer from tremendous jealousy from someone, and you see that someone's done something amazing, you can never be able to see it that way. You'll always minimize what you saw. If you feel threatened by a situation, you're going to figure a way to show that it should be very far away from you. We've got all these pent up in the past emotions that don't let us be just present in the reality. That let me see exactly what the situation is without my spin. Without my spin. That's very difficult. Because not so so now compassion looks at the reality fully without judging if it's right or wrong. Let's say you told the kid 20 times don't cross the street without looking. And he goes, nah, 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 you nah, anything. The kid crosses the street and gets run over by the car. You have to call 911. You say, oh, so what are you going to say? Yeah, you had it coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, c 
compassion looks at the reality fully, not saying it's right or wrong, without the need to run away, without feeling threatened by the reality. Because, and if you have that rachamim, meaning, you know what, let, let, me, let me have compassion on what I'm seeing here. Let me just understand what's happening with what I'm seeing and not me coloring the situation. If you have this rachamim, it opens up reality so you'll be able to hear what's going on and it's going to point to the truth so you can see it for what it really is instead of the incorrect lens or the built-in um, rationalization system or built-in reaction systems that you've developed over years with response, stimulus, and response in the past. This is what Frankl was saying is this empty space. There's a stimuli. Now what you have to have next is the das right there. To look at the stimulus for what it really, really is without judging it. Now we're going to see how you're going to be able to do that. And now that you've got that empty space, it now tells you what's on. Now, on the other side, you will now choose what to do as opposed to just react. <coughs> That's the critical point. And believe me, it's not easy to live in that empty space of Das. It's not. Now, Das is not just knowledge based on data. That's very cold. But experiencing with your full awareness of the reality that's happening without the need to put it into a box. And say, oh, yeah, well, I've done, heard this a million times. This is what it is, what you got to do, it, and that's all. But you're not taking in the full reality. Now, to give you an idea, let's have an example. When was the first time the root word of Das was used in the Torah? It's a dot. No, no, not the first time. Adam and Chava, when they were intimate, it says, Adam knew his wife. What does it mean, no? So the Mephor say it means to connect with something fully, without running away, being fully in every aspect of my essence, my consciousness, they call in Hebrew, his chabrus, his kashrus. When you're physically intimate with somebody, not, you're not hiding anything, you're not running, you're very close, you're aware of every little nuance. Now that's when talking about physical, but not just physical, just in any situation. Are you fully present in the situation? Are all faculties burning equally? Or is maybe one place has swallowed up the whole thing and now it's captured all into one little way? And this is not easy. And now we get into the more difficult area. So far it's been easy. Okay, and I've got to, I, I know how much I have to say and I only have a half an hour. So I have to hold up on the questions a little bit. Now, let's take a look at the brain. Let's first see what the Tanya says about the brain and then we'll see what science says about the brain. Now, Tanya says we operate on four levels of consciousness. I'm sorry, it's not... Four, if you need to remember, it'll be taped. I hope it should be running. Four levels of consciousness. First one is called nefesh hachiyunis, the, the biological level. Just to, what you do to live. What you do to live. That's it. Food and water. Whatever. Very, very physical. Just to stay alive. That's one uh, aspect of consciousness. Something happens... 
Well, could be your first reaction is what do I do to stay alive? Second one is called Nefesh Bahamis, animal level. That's a little more. That's how an animal perceives it. Then we have something called Nefesh Hasichlis, the rational consciousness. Then have, and then we have Nefesh Elokis, the divine level of consciousness. Those are four levels of consciousness. They're separate levels, and they can all be working at the same time. Now, science shows how anxiety affects the parts of the brain. So if we take a look at this handy-dandy chart, it shows you that there's three parts of the brain. And there's different names that are given for them. And uh, we start with the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain that helps the human beings survive. Some call that the reptilian complex. It deals with survival. And then there's the next area called the limbic system. That's like the mammalian system that deals with our emotions, empathy, you know, ideas of laying parental and things like that. And then we're dealing with the neocortex, which is the human brain, which is logic, abstract thought, uh, morality, and things like that. And therefore, we've got three aspects that scientists understand. But then we've got that element of consciousness, which is within the human being, that is that part that's the elokis, the, the, the ruach elokis, the, the divine aspect that is within the human being. So these are the four, that nefesh elokis. Those, these are the four aspects that exists. Now, what happens when there's trauma? Okay, what happens when there's trauma? Well, although normally four elements, four, those four aspects can exist together and successfully, but trauma can cause us to operate only with the amygdala and then straight to the response. And the amygdala, it's good to have a response to trauma. A car wants to run you over. Of course, you want to get out of the way without even thinking. Sometimes you don't think, you just get out of the way. If a person has significant trauma, sometimes the amygdala keeps working longer than necessary and doesn't shut off. You know, for example, if in your house the fire alarm goes off, it's made with a very disturbing sound that forces you to not think about anything but get out or get rid of the fire or call 911. And that's to save you. Now, but of course, once the fire stops, the smoke clears, you want the alarm to shut off and to stop making you crazy. Now imagine a person with post-traumatic stress. What is it happening? The amygdala just keeps going off and it never tells you that life is safe. So you're still always trying to survive. Now that is, you know, a problem. And that could just pop up at any time. That's when we talk about pushing the buttons. Because many of our responses are based strictly because of the amygdala that we want to survive. So for example, if a wife tells a husband, uh, when Shabbos comes, oh, you didn't bring the challah for Shabbos. Now the wife could innocently just note the husband didn't bring the challah for Shabbos. But for some reason, this can cause an immediate response 
that's coming from the amygdala because that amygdala is very heightened to always look for survival and could be this fellow for years the teachers in school said he couldn't succeed and his parents criticized him and his wife in the past has criticized him so if the person's post-trauma the amygdala is very sensitive to anything that could endanger their well-being in a mental state and therefore what has happened is with constantly going over that neural pathway where the amygdala says trouble save yourself when it really isn't trouble but you're so used to that being the normal response you've been conditioned and you have no other pathways to look at if you're constantly been you know and no one's blaming anybody here this is just the way your mind works you works your mind works the amygdala sees trouble and finds a way to solve it when you're young it just tries, you know, natural animalistic ways of solving it without using your brains a lot. And it, it alleviates the emergency, so to speak. But that could become a developed neural pathway that's not necessarily the best one to use. It's interesting that Edison says it takes 66 days to create a new neural pathway. Imagine, you always go the same way to work every day. And then all of a, that's your pathway. All of a sudden, there's a roadblock. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know any other way to get to work. So either you just go back home and don't go to work. Or you just drive through the roadblock and kill a few people on the way. Now, when we uh, go back to the Moore Naim now. So what do we have? We have the Nefesh Elokis. The Nefesh Elokish is my consciousness. And that consciousness is rooted in the divine infinity of Hashem. And what does that Nefesh Elokish tell me? Is that I'm an ambassador of light, love, hope for the entire world. Now, that Nefesh Elokish does not deny the reality that exists, but it puts everything into the correct framework. When that happens, that's Geula. Gullus means you can't get past who they think they are. And it creates unnecessary protectors for the person. And they develop, develop what we, and cultivate what we call Mishagas. Or unnecessary things to survive. So what does a person like this need who's stuck without this Nefesh Elokis aspect? A person like this needs compassion. And because his exile means he has no das. But what has to begin is, you have to begin to have some compassion. He has to have for himself. People have to have for him. And we know compassion really is to be subjective and objective at the same time. Meaning to say, you look at the situation the way you see it. This is the way I feel. I feel hurt. That's subjective. That's what it is. And then objective, but what's really happening? What's the full presence of what's going on over here? And therefore the question really is, how do we take Das out of the gullus? And the answer is with compassion. Not by screaming at people, but rather, because that's going to cause a person to dig deeper into that reality. But you have to be what we call present in your reality, and therefore your Das can emerge. And therefore, you must be in a state of rachamim. What does it mean? To experience what you're growing through. It hurts. Don't deny it. But have compassion for it. Try to understand why you're feeling that way. 
and then uh, put it in the proper context of who and what you are, and then you can have some das. So, <coughs> so geula happens again using Frankel's uh, analogy in that space in between the stimulus and the response. And gullus is when there is no space. And therefore, we have issues of impulse control. Therefore, a person really has to have Rachmanus on himself to understand himself before he can help others uh, at all. So this is what is going to be the difference between gullus and geula. Gullus is when there's no space in between the stimulus and the response. And Gula is that space that's happening over there by the vehicle of Das. So let's go back and reread the Ma'orinayim on the second page. The Ma'orinayim was saying, how can a person choose between good and evil if he doesn't have any Das? And therefore, we look on the second page, in the first paragraph, the key clause is what I pointed out in the red. The Morinaim is saying, you cannot have Bechira if you have no Das. If you have not put that understanding, that smack in the middle between the, re- the stimulus and the response. So here's the Chap. Hashem didn't take the free will choice away from Paro. Because he never had the Bechira. That's what it means, he hardened Paro's heart. It doesn't mean to say that Paro had Bechira and Hashem took away the Bechira. Hashem never let Paro, Paro never cultivated the Das that enables for a person to have Bechira. He always was stimulus response. His life was certain neuropathways. He is God. That's what he thinks. And that lets him manage his life. And now when there's any threat to that, he just immediately responds without thinking. So now when the plagues are going to happen, what's Hashem saying? Listen, now it could be that maybe he would want to change and start to make some free will choices. But Hashem is saying, but right now he doesn't have any. And until I am able to help you with that free will choice, you don't really have any free will choice. Nobody has any free will choice in this world. Why? Because we've been trained e- through society, either nature or nurture, and the choices that we make are not really free will choices. So therefore, Hashem hardened Paras heart to not develop free will choice, to enable power to continue to behave in the way that he has. Now, when we leave Mitzrayim, ah, when we leave Mitzrayim, then we're able to have free will choice because we have the das. But there's something so important that has to happen to help us with this das. And this is the real issue over here. Because if we really think about life, there really is no choice in the world. There's no choice in the world. I don't have much choice. When you bring out a, a tiramisu cake, I don't have much choice. I've been trained to enjoy it and to like it. And that's it. There's very few areas that you really have free will choice. The only source of choice is infinity. Is da'as elyon. 
the higher reality of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That sikhli elokis, that intellectual way of, 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 of being conscious of the world. If we, if we experience God's light as a choice, now we're in another ballpark. It's interesting, Hashem always has choices. Choice always exists from the divine perspective. Because Hashem can do whatever he wants. Whatever, whatever is on it, nothing forces him, even though Hashem is totally aware of everything in the world, but nothing forces him. Now, that level of, of consciousness we can access. Only a Jew can, a Goy can't access this. And choice, since it always exists from the divine perspective, so now if we could tap into that divine perspective, then we have choice. But without that divine perspective, you have no choice because you must live within the lower levels of existence. Again, let's give another example. Does anybody here think they chose who they're going to marry? You may think you chose, but really not. What do you mean? There are three billion women on the planet. I chose one of them. Well, did you or did you not? You know, you've you've already been trained. Let's say you're a religious person. So your parents have taught you you have to marry a religious person. First of all, you have to marry a Jew. So that knocks out seven more than seven billion people. Now we're down to maybe ten million people. So a lot of your choices have been knocked out. Then it's got to be a religious Jew. So now you're down to I don't know uh, a million people. And now you know. Then you have your own personal view of compatibility. You have a certain look that you feel connected to. You you feel attracted to. Well, let's say you're a brown, brown-haired, brown eyes. You're not going to be attracted necessarily to redheads. Okay, you're not going to be attracted to people of a different color tone. So that knocks down a lot of people. And then you have a certain degree of intelligence or lack of intelligence, humor or lack of humor, and now it gets whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. And then many girls don't even want you. At the end of the day. You don't really have much choice because you've been pre-programmed for this is what you want. So if we really think about this, mankind is not born with choice. We don't have choice. So now we have to understand the next point. When we talk about freedom, are we talking about freedom of choice or freedom from choice? Well, freedom of choice, we really don't have, as I've explained. But freedom from choice, what does that mean? It's a deeper choice after we take away all the distractions to find out who I really am. And now I have freedom to choose for what I really am and what is good for me versus what is bad for me. Freedom really depends on, number one, that I am what I really am. I lived based on who I really am, not what society is telling me to be. Now, how do I know who I really am? That only happens when you access the sikhlis elokis. You access God's divine understanding of reality. When you access ein od milvado, and realize that all reality comes from Hashem, and you begin to live in that reality. And now when you study Torah, 
and you understand Einod Bovado, and that's exactly why we say Avinu Avarachmam Hamarachim Rachim Aleinu Vaseimli Beinu. All that is coming right before we say the Shema, because the Shema is the source of this idea of Einod Bovado, and that everything exists by Hashem's decree. And therefore, there's a Torah that gives us guidance on how to analyze things with Das, to analyze exactly how things are, and what is Hashem's understanding of that reality, and how a sane person would act in that reality. Now we're talking about Das, but Das only comes from a Seichel Elyon. Das is only something that Jews can get. We can be intimate because that's part of who we are. We are part of the infinity of Hashem that coexists on all the four levels of consciousness. So when a situation happens to you, if you have the das, so somebody insults you really bad, you're really embarrassed. So the amygdala is really hit hard. And the response is, I got to do something to save face, to be able to continue to live. Everyone's laughing at me. So now, if you're, if you, if you don't have Das, you just respond without thinking. That's no free will choice. What's the free will choice? You have to say, let's stop and let's analyze what's happened. I have been hurt. No question about it. I feel hurt. I'm not giving any blame to anybody. I'm not minimizing the situation. I'm not maximizing the situation. I am hurt. Now we can look into why I am hurt. Well, that person said something and it embarrassed me. Now I have to say, okay, now, how does Hashem look at this situation? And how should I deal with this situation? Well, Einod Milvado says that if Hashem didn't want me to get insulted, I wouldn't have been insulted, but Hashem chose that I should be insulted. And Hashem has a Torah of divine understanding that says, you don't take revenge. Gamzu Latova. So now I don't feel threatened by what that person did. I only need to know one thing. What is the thing I'm supposed to do? Well, my amygdala says, insult him back. Or just run away. Or you can say, what does Hashem want me to do? Hashem would say, know this is from Hashem. Know that there's a message there. No, there's a mitzvah of Haftarecha Kamocha. No, there's a mitzvah of Ocheach Tochicha Zamisecha. And there's a way to do things. And therefore, and the fact that he insulted me has nothing to do with who I am because I am an ambassador of the infinite God. And that can never change. Now, how does the ambassador of an infinite God respond? Well, how am I going to respond? Torah says sometimes you just don't respond and let it go and move on with life. And, the, and therefore, when I come home, I don't kick the dog. I go yell at my wife because I'm upset that somebody hurt my feelings. I don't even tell my wife that the person hurt my feelings. I let it go. And I feel proud of myself that I let it go. Or the other choice is I go and attack back. Now I'm, in a, now I'm free to make the choice. The choice is mine. So you only have freedom of choice if you're tuned into God's knowledge of who you really are and what you will really choose based on who you really are. Free is when you choose with no pressure based on who you really are. But if you're addicted to laziness, you have insecurities, then 
real freedom doesn't exist because it's not based on decisions of who you really are. It's what you've been twisted into. But when you realize that you have the Tzalem Elohim and you have a piece of infinity in yourself, then there is a choice because it's coming from the deepest place of who you really are, which is an infinite being, which makes the correct choices always. Ah, you're going to say, wait a minute, well, aren't I forced as well? Because I know that's the only choice. Here's the big difference. It's not forced in the sense that you have no other choice than to do what's right, but because it's coming from who you really are. When it comes from who you really are, then that's a choice. Now, I really am a divine being with infinite potential, an ambassador of Hashem. That's who I really am. So now I want to choose based on who I really am, what is it that I really want to do? So what do I really want to do? I want to act in a dignified, noble, divine way. And this is the response that a divine being would give. I have a choice. I could pick the wrong choice. And that's to go back to the original words. In the Torah, when we say Bechira, it's between life and death, good and evil. But that's only you have a perspective of what's good and what's evil. And how do I have the right perspective? Because I, I tap into Torah. I tap into I have the das of what the divine perspective is. Because I have Rachamim in a situation. Rachamim means, again, I just take in everything that's there and just acknowledge what the feelings are all around and that they're not bad, good, indifferent. And then I see, okay, how would Hashem analyze the situation? Now I have a choice. Do I do what is really me or do I do what's not really me? Now if you want to say I don't have a choice, no, I chose to be who I really am. If on the other hand, you've been indoctrinated to just give certain response, that's not who you are to begin with. So now you're just parroting back what other people are doing, and that's called gullus. That's not called freedom. Freedom is freedom from choice, the way the secular people are telling you how to live. And we want that from that. It's not forced. It's coming. Choice, free will choice means it's coming from who you really are. And when I really know who I am, then I got a choice. And Hashem wants to make the choice easy for you. Choose good. This is what's good for a divine being. This is bad for a divine being. Now it takes a lifetime, or hopefully shorter, to develop this das. And once you have the das, you have the bechir. Egypt was a place where there was no das at all for anybody. Therefore, nobody really, although you think you have bechir, you don't have bechir. And bechir only comes when the Jews leave Mitzrayim. And then they see the Ein Od Movado of Hashem. They began to see it with the ten plagues. They'll see it greater with the splitting of the sea. Zekeli van Veo, this my God, I will glorify him. Vayaminu Hashem of Amoishavdo. And it gets it comes to its highest level at Kabbalah Satora, where they see that which is heard and hear that which is seen, and they totally understand Movado, Movado. And that's what we say in Sefer Tvarim, Atarei you were made to know. That Hashem, who Elohim, 
Hashem Yud Kevavke, which is only one. Hu Elokim. This is what all the little details of Hashem in the world are. Elokim are the many manifestations of Hashem. And you might think they're all different things, not coordinated and organized, but it's Hashem. Hashem is the singular. And then you come to that level of Das, you cannot, you now can choose. And it's very clear. Oh, how can you ever sin? Ah, that's when tests come in your life. When you temporarily lose your Das, a situation comes that Hashem causes you to temporarily have a chance to lose your das. And when you lose your das, that's when you can make mistakes. Okay, now let's go back inside the more Nayim. So we've definitely answered the first question. What happened to the free will choice? Let's go to the second question. How can God know what our choices are? So we're in the second page, about halfway through. So I'm going to explain now how this can happen. We have to look what we said. The main Bechira, who was with Das. When a person knows Hashem with full Das. Then there is Bechira. If you don't have any Das, there's no Bechira at all. Now here's the critical line. If that's the case, because now free choice and knowledge is all one. What does that mean? Because with what does a person make a choice with? The only time you ever can make a choice. Remember, choosing because you force, that's not a choice. Bechira means you have das. Okay, now what does das mean? Das means I see the situation exactly how Hashem sees it. So now, so when you make a free will choice, you know why God knows what your free will choice is? Because because choice is das. How do you make a choice? A real choice, not a phony choice. A real choice is with das. And the das of Hashem, by definition, who are that creates a situation of choice. This is the essential knowledge that Hashem has. He knows what the choices are. They don't contradict each other. It is all one vavena and try to understand it. So what he's really saying is, we say if Bechira is something that everybody has, yeah, but not everybody has Bechira. <laughs> Not everybody has Bechira. Most people don't even choose. And that, for sure, Hashem knows. Hashem knows that if you're a drug addict, you don't have Bechira, and He knows you're going to continue to take drugs. Hashem also knows that if you now choose to have Das, you will have Bechira. And Bechira, once you have Das, Bechira will always be the right choice. And therefore, Hashem knows what your choices are without taking away your Bechira, because Bechira and Das are equal. When a person has Das, then he has Bechira. And Bechira means you will always make the right choice. And Hashem knows that. Because unless you're crazy 
And Hashem would know if you're crazy too. So there's nothing Hashem doesn't know, but it has not influenced your Bechira. What do you mean? If Hashem knows what I'm going to choose. Yeah, but if it's a sure thing and you're a normal person, why would you choose otherwise? If you have Das, Hashem knows your response to an insult will be a hug and, 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 and compassion and not a violent response. Hashem knows that. You know why? Because that's knowledge and that's your Bechira and that's your Das. And they're all one. With a Kurdish Borchu. And if you don't have any Das, then you also don't have any Bechira at all. You think you have Bechira, but you don't have Bechira. And certainly Hashem knows that. It's a very deep answer. You could think about it. But that clearly explains why Hashem knows. Hashem knows what our choices are. So now let's just finish up this last part, beautiful, and get back to the Pusik. We had the problem of Hashem making a mockery. But in Mitzrayim, remember, there was no das at all in Mitzrayim. Therefore, there was no choice. We call this expression that das was in katnus, was constricted consciousness. What's constricted consciousness means there's no das. You go straight from stimuli to response. Like a cotton, like a miner. We say a minor in halacha ain't lo das, has no das. And that's why the Talmud says a cut ain't lo machshav, has no thoughts. And now we can understand the Pasuk. And this is what Jay was understanding. Let's go back to the Pasuk. The Pasuk said, Hashem says to Moshe, go to Paro, for I've hardened his heart. What does my hardened his heart? He still doesn't have free will choice and I won't enable him to have free will choice. It's so interesting. The Rambam says a person, let's go back to the Rambam and Ramban and see how they all fit into what we've been saying. The Rambam says if a person sins so much, Hashem punishes him that he doesn't have any free will choice. He doesn't mean to say he loses his free will choice or if he's a person who had free will choice, he could lose it. But if he didn't have any, so I've hardened his heart that he won't get any free will choice. He'll stay where he's always been. And that I can therefore bring my also sign my letters of Aleph, Lam, and Hey, which means these, these, into his midst that said me. Who is Hashem? Who is Hashem means there's absolutely no potential for Das. But Hashem wants to show the world that to show them that there's an Ela. It's this, 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 uh, Hashem, this, all letters, Aleph, Lam, and Hey. It's this. Hashem is in every aspect. And that adds to the Yud Mem. It's not a me. Even though Elohim, Elohim can say, oh, there's, there's a lot of forces that come out of Hashem. Hashem manifests himself in so many ways. But the truth of the matter is, it all comes from Yudai Vavay. Now, what do I need all this for? Not for Paro. He's a moron. He's never going to understand anything. But it's so that you will tell your children, Esasher Hisalalti. Now, we translate Hisalalti as mockery. But now, says the Morenayim, Hisalalti from an expression, Olel Vionek. Olel means very young children. So what Hashem is really saying he salalti. I made him childlike. Come on, I share. He skatanti in Israel. I made him small. I kept him small in Egypt. To know that his das is the smallness of Mitzrayim. So now let's look at the puzzle. It sings beautifully. 
You're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro. There's three plagues left. Everyone's saying, Paro, let him go. Everyone's saying it. And Paro is basically not saying it, but it's coming out. I have no choice. I have to keep doing it because my amygdala is going crazy. And I got to survive. And survive means if I'm destroyed, that's also survival. Now, what is Hashem doing this for? So we'll tell our children what happens when you are a cotton. When you're a cotton, you have no freedom of choice. And that's what Egypt was all about. I pl- yes, there's a mockery of power, but that's not the real goal. The real goal is I kept them small, and you see, without Das, there's nothing. And I want you to tell over your children this. And my signs, what does my signs, my signs mean? I was teaching lessons in Das. That, that Hashem, I'm really in control of the world. And now the Elohim is complete. And here's the final critical point. Vidatem ki Hashem. And you will know that I am Hashem. Now you'll have Das. The whole Egyptian experience. Why did God have to do ten plagues? Couldn't he knock Paro off with one shot? The answer is Hashem wants to give us Das. That through the ten plagues, that fortifies the ten mamoros of Hashem creating the world and we can see by the end of the ten plagues significantly that Hashem ain't old Movada. we're very much on the tracks it doesn't get completed till the splitting of the sea till we get to Torah Sinai but the whole point is to show you what is life without us and what is life with us and that's how he ends this and, and, and the very end is saying that their intellect is complete when they leave Mitzrayim. And the real leaving of Mitzrayim means when we get the Torah. So that's why the we're, we're using the term mockery, but really it should be freedom. A child does not have a transcendental awareness of Das. There's no adult reasoning in Egypt. And there's an expression, there's no adult in the room. (coughs) When we were in Egypt, there were no adults in the room. And the Gula was for the purpose of redeeming our Das. Let's look at current events for a moment. Are we not exactly in Egypt? What is the most famous social, um, what do you call it, media medium is Twitter. What is Twitter? Twitter's all about to see how much no DAS exists in the world. Something happens, people give an immediate response. What is that? Amygdala response. Short, to the point, insulting, whatever. That's it. That's what's happening. We're in Mitzrayim. Everybody's got no DAS. Start from Paro. Biden has no DAS. All the people running Washington, they have no DAS. Now the problem is you get sucked into that and you get onto fake book or other things and you show you have no das. Now, and the point is the Jews had no das. Remember, Moshe comes and tells him after the work's really hard. He says, okay, now I should going to take us out. The Jews didn't listen because they couldn't breathe. What does breathing mean? Breathing means take a breath, take back. Choose and go with your das. The Jews couldn't go with das. They had no das. But you, but you do have an access to Das, but not always. But you could find it if you don't let them 
you know, if you don't let the storms of life swallow you up. And the Jews were persecuted to a point where they had no time to think. That was Paro's main idea. So we had no das. You know, when you have a big hurricane, there's a concept of the eye of the storm. What's the eye of the storm? Why does Hashem create an eye of the storm? To learn from that. You could have problems, then's the eye of the storm, and then more problems. Now, in, in, in the scientific world, well, the eye of the storm stops and then the problems continue. And that happens to people too. We have our own hurricanes in our mind. But Hashem gives us the eye of the storm for what? To maybe stop the storm from storming. So that's what the ex, that's what it was all about. A cotton has no dots. I made Paro, I kept Paro a baby. We have so many babies. There are no adults in the room in the year 2023. There are not one adult in the room. Everybody is just following whatever their preconceived notion is. There's no people making free will choices. The Jews are sucked up into this. We've got to develop this das. And where does this come from? It comes from learning these Torah portions and seeing that there's a Torah coming. And the Torah tells us how to live with this. But Rabbi say, if you just stay out in the world and you're watching everything that's out in social media, you're not, you're just learning stupidity. There's no das at all because no one's looking at it from a divine perspective. And I don't expect Goyim to do that, but I would expect Jews who have an access to it to try to find it. So we have to see what's happening to us in divine terms. That's why the rabbi speaks on Shabbos and says, this is how you have to understand reality. And I've constantly said, don't get sucked up into the vortex of the politics. Know that Hashem is doing all this. Know what happens to people when they have no das and how foolish they look and how foolish we can look. And it's definitely something we don't want to copy. We want to be who we are. And we have to know who we are. And the Torah tells us every week who we are with our infinite existence. And to know that you're seeing people who don't have any freedom. They have no choice. They're manipulated by the media who tells you how to think. And we want to make choice away from the people. people that's very interesting. You ever notice people who have no choice, like Paro and political leaders, they want to take away the choice from other people because those other people are dangerous. And people who have choice, who have das, are very happy to let other people have das because they don't feel threatened by it. So, you see, Bechira sees the two options. And with a divine mind, you'll make the right decision. The time explains, you know, just like a, a, there's a judge and there's lawyers. And there's evidence. And lawyers will bring evidence one way. Lawyers will bring evidence another way. The judge uses his das to hear all the opinions, not to react let the nefesh elokim make the choice, not the others. And the nefesh elokim is really what you are, and you are making your choices. So Rabbi as we say, the choice is yours. We're living in a world with no das. Do you want to have das? Do you really want to feel that you're making the choices between life and death? Or do you want to be like most of society where it's between death and death? There really is no choice. These parshas are where we can really nurture this das. And to remember, the main thing is to always 
reflect and see, I've got a situation. I have a stimulus. I know what my automatic response is. You got to stop and think. Now, if you don't have any developed connection of spirit, of, of, of sikhlis, of, of the, the nefesh sikhli, of the nefesh elokis, of the divine nefesh, you're not even in a position to have any das. And that's why studying Torah with the right mindset gives you this das. And therefore, although Hashem knows what our choices are, we have a lot of free will choice and we really want this geula. The real geula does not depend on Mashiach coming. It's depending when you develop your own das elokim, apply it to your life, you'll always make the choices that are good for you in the infinite realm of reality. Thank you all for listening and have a great Shabbos.